You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Denny O'Neill, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, Episode 2A, covering a period of Spider-Man from 1964 to 1965. This is covering the first half of the second Epic Collection called Great Responsibility. I'm your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your co-host, Frank Martini. And Frank, what issues are we talking about in today's episode? Uh, so we're getting into very good stuff with uh, Amazing Spider-Man 18 to 38 plus Annual 2. And for this first conversation, we will be covering issues 18 to 28. Yeah, and this is an interesting period because I feel like Ditko really comes into his own during these issues here. There is a very good... Uh, difference, I think, between issue 18 and where he becomes issue 28. And Dicko has already been working for quite a while in comics, but I feel like right here, and I don't know if it's because he just cares about Spider-Man more than the other books that he's working on, but he just explodes in terms of the development of his artwork, the way he tells his story, uh, the way he... develops the the ongoing just a soap opera drama of everything yeah and i think that the book also is in a completely different space and location by issue 28 versus where it is in issue 18 i mean it's such a major shift the characters of the 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 tone of the book uh, visually speaking everything switches and i think it's really a transition part because also the book transitions from being more of a stanley book into a ditko book ah uh, yeah and that's obvious uh, and there, for me there's a, a really clear cut point when the book switches completely from one direction to another and then we, we will get into the second part of the book uh, later on where, where we talk about the even more mature stories and uh, and, uh, and a great development of the characters as well right interesting yeah so i want to know when we come to that clear-cut point that you talk about so make sure you mention that uh, when we get to mm. that issue uh, and i'll see if it matches up with my own uh, opinion on that one mm-hmm. yeah for sure Okay, so what are the things that we need to know about our story so far before jumping into this epic collection? Well, it's very early in the in the Spider-Man story, so there's not a lot of uh, that you need to know, actually. Um, well, of course, the, the, the characters have been established, so we have seen in the first uh, volume that uh, a lot of villains and great villains have been established. Yep. Uh, the main cast is there, so Peter, of course, Aunt May, uh, G. Jonah Jameson, uh, Betty Brandt, and uh, the, the cast in, uh, in, in high schools, so Flash Thompson, mostly, and Liz Allen. Uh, so those are the main characters which uh, which have been set up and uh, and the whole uh, the, the first few stories that have been circling around them. 
what is interesting to know uh, is that in issue 17, there was a fight. Uh, it was a quite, quite goofy story, if I remember well. But yeah. uh, the, 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 there was a fight against the Green Goblin, who's really the, the, the main villain that comes and goes uh, all around this, uh, this second epic collection. Since, uh, And you can easily see that it's uh, both Lee's and Ditko's favorite character, uh, because you see that he comes and goes and he's like the, the, the central uh, uh, character uh, beyond Spider-Man. So there was this fight in issue 17, and uh, during this issue, um, there was a sort of ongoing thing between uh, Peter going back and forth, being Spider-Man and not being Spider-Man. And at the end of the issue, he had to run away uh, because obviously Aunt May was sick. So he appears like a coward. He appeared like a coward. And when we start this volume, uh, that's really the situation where he is. Uh, and you can see from the, the splash page of issue 18 that, uh, well, that's exactly where we are. I would have thought for these, just the sake of splitting up the epic collections with the mapping, that issue 18 probably should have been in, at the very end of volume one because it yeah. ties up those stories. And at the end of that... Uh, he it kind of goes in a di- little bit of a different direction. Uh, usually, mm-hmm. with the epic collections, they try to uh, you know make their endpoints at a at a, a an appropriate spot that doesn't leave it on a cliffhanger. But mm-hmm. Volume One did leave it sort of on a cliffhanger with Spider Man being branded a coward and running away from his problems. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think maybe tied with with, with the amount of uh, the, the the page numbers in the, in that issue and the, yeah. the fact that it ended with a massive uh, annual was a very very long story. Uh, I don't know if it ended on the annual or if the it didn't end on the annual. Yeah, but no, it, it was included, right? Yeah, but, it was uh, there. But it's a very long story. That's so true. Maybe it's a matter of page count. Yeah, because that would have been uh, 17, 18, 19 issues. Plus, they reprinted Amazing Fantasy twice because they had all the original artwork there. So that's another issue. Yeah, yeah there yeah. probably wasn't just wasn't room for it. Mm. Okay, so I have some comments from Facebook and from Instagram and from Twitter from people who wanted to chime in with their thoughts on this specific Epic Collection volume. So over on um, on Instagram, Kemi sa- says um, the back half of Ditko's, this is the back half of Ditko's run, probably one of the best run of Spider-Man comics ever made. I love Ditko art and especially his villains. It also has one of the best arcs of all time, the Master Planner issues. And those ones are ones that we're going to talk about today. Mm, true. Uh, let's see here. Agent of Flamingo says classic, but not my favorite run. And I can see that a lot of people, if you have a hard time with some Silver Age writing or, or just plotting, then this may not be your cup of tea. Um, Patrick Reads Comics says, is there a better five pages of comics than the first five pages of Amazing Spider-Man number 33, which we'll get to in our next episode? Mm. Um, the way Ditko uses the panels to reflect the effort and strength Spidey was using are classic, probably up there with the nine panel grid and Toth's 33 panels that always work as an influence, as an influence on everything that came after it. Mm. Uh, yes, it's actually Wally Wood's 22 panels that always work. If you haven't seen that, you oh, should yeah. Google that. that. It's, a, mm. it's an image where it's just 22 panels of, of um, composition. And it's a, it's a great resource for people who are trying to uh, just draw comics and learn, learn a few things. Wally Wood's 22 panels that always work. 
Okay, yeah, yeah, I get it now. Uh, I think that was reprinted or it was mentioned in uh, one of Scott McLeod's uh, books, like Understanding Comics or something oh, like probably. that. Oh, probably. Yeah, that would make sense. I'm, I'm familiar with that. Now, now I get it. Now I remember. Dalton says, I recently read this one and Great Power, that's volume one, and I feel like it was a big step down, but how could it not be? So many epic villains and stories introduced that, in my opinion, this set of stories was destined to be in the shadows. Not bad by any means, just overshadowed. And I think that is uh, opposite of what we were saying, Frank. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's, uh, yeah, I feel quite the opposite uh, about this collection, but, uh, well, to each its own. Yeah. Uh, and Steve says this is just brilliant. Ditko spins a great story. Art is laid out so nothing really distracts from Spider-Man or Peter Parker being the focus. Plenty of spider woes, or sorry, plenty of Parker woes too. Some great villains and Aunt May as well. And those are all the comments we have here. Uh, nothing too specific except for the issue 33 comment, which we'll get to in our next episode. Um, but uh, yeah, mm. thank you everybody for writing in. And uh, stay tuned for the next time I ask you for your comments. Love to hear them. Let's jump into our issues, Frank, and talk about issue number 18. Right. This one's called The End of Spider-Man. And it is, like you said, the continuation of issue number 17. Now that he, now that Aunt May is, is really, really sick... Peter Parker feels like that if he died, there would be no one to take care of his aunt. So he really doesn't want to be Spider-Man. So this entire issue is him running away from all of the villains or anything that can put him in harm so that he, you know, doesn't get killed. This is an interesting story because I feel like Ditko lays it out in a very different way than he usually does. It's more like a series of short vignette stories rather than uh, mm. one one large plot. Uh, and I, I thought that was nice, actually. So it's like you get a little snippet of uh, Peter at school and then one of Peter fighting Sandman and um, or running away from Sandman or him with Aunt May. And, you know, and that's the kind of stuff that's normally in these issues. But the way he divides up the scenes, uh, they're not connected in a in an interconnected way like they would normally be in, in the other issues. It's a little bit of a different style. Yeah, maybe they are trying to, to show that Peter is running away from everything. He's running away from villains. He's running away from uh, even from, from his pounds like the torch and, and so on and so forth. So those are small things happening to be, because you don't know how long it takes to get into the story and how, on how many days it takes place. So uh, I think he's trying to you know, have some, uh, like you said, some kind of vignettes to uh, um, to show that, and um, mm-hmm. and that's a completely different Spider-Man story because uh, Spider-Man is hardly in it. Right. Yeah. There's really, I mean, Sandman is there, but there's no villain to fight. There's no big battles. Uh, it's very much a. It's almost a depressing story. <laughs> Of, it, yeah, it's it's not a very it's not a funny story for sure. Yes, and it's such a contrast from the last issue, issue seventeen, which was goofy. It was mm. like a screwball comedy type of a story, and then you get this one, which is a complete about face. Very interesting to get those two tones back to back. Yeah, it, it, it's also interesting to see that, uh, and that will fade out along the way in this book. But the money aspect, uh, which was there from the beginning, and Spider-Man being very social comic book, 
yeah. about uh, and dealing Peter dealing with the fact that they are short on money and sometimes you know uh, May in the previous volume had to uh, pawn um, a jewelry or, and things like that you know so that there were quite harsh situations and still there in that issue and though it would fade out along the way um, and go into a completely a different situation. I thought it was interesting how Lee and Ditko deal with the aspect of responsibility here. Because, of course, that's mm. been a major theme for uh, Spider-Man since the very beginning. But his sense of responsibility here is for his family. He has the great power, and with that must also come the responsibility. But his, but Peter's responsibility, he feels, is not for helping the greater good at this point. Uh, so it's not that he's running away from responsibility, it's that his focus has shifted. And really the only yeah. reason he goes back to being Spider-Man is because his responsibility to his family has lessened. Because at yeah. the end of this issue, Aunt May is better again. Well, I, I think that uh, the lecture that uh, Aunt May gives him is really key because it's, uh, it helps him refocus uh, his responsibility and... Uh, uh, so he gets back to see that uh, people need Spider-Man and not only Aunt May needs him. So he goes beyond that. Uh, but even though this family aspect and his responsibility to his family is something that will always be there and is still there. I mean, today uh, I was reading the, the latest issue of Amazing Spider-Man yesterday. The, his responsibility to his closed one, so it may not be family anymore, but it's something which is always there and has always been there. So it ties completely with the character. Yes and no. I think that, though, the responsibility is there, but he also doesn't... Like, he finds the balance between family and and Spider-Man. And the greater good. Yeah, and the greater good. But in this one, he he runs away from the greater good completely. And I know it's it's sort of hyperbole in this sense to try and make the point, but mm. if, if Aunt May still stayed sick... Even if he, even if she gave him that speech and she was still sick, I don't think that he would have gone back to his superheroics. Well, I tend to, to to make a connection between this story and I'm using Spider-Man Fifty, right? Uh, where he gives up being Spider-Man, and, and there is some always something that would trigger uh, his going back in the in the suit. I think so. Yes. Here it may be Aunt May. In issue fifty, it's the the the, the 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 god that looks a bit like Uncombean. So I think that there was there will always be something that uh, gets him back in the suit. That's true. This is the first time we see Flash Thompson as Spider Man. Yeah, and this is something that uh, that you know any TV show or movie or something they, they they love to play with the the whole Flash is a huge Spider Man hero. So it's good to see uh, him take on the costume here. Yeah, even though even though it's a it's a kind of goofy moment in the in the issue, right? And I think it was good that we needed a little bit of levity in this issue yeah. as well, just because it was quite a downer otherwise. <laughs> yeah, the, the, what is really funny is the way that um, uh, he wears the costume. Flash wears the costume No, because it doesn't the, the costume doesn't fit. <laughs> right. Even though he's mu he's much more of a sports guy than than Peter Parker, but the costume he's wearing like. Uh, is loose, uh, you know, and he doesn't look very um, confident, uh, even though, I mean, he's playing football the rest of the time, so he should be very much more confident than that. Uh, also, this issue is the first appearance of Ned Leeds, uh, right. so that would be something that we would see very much uh, 
uh, along the way, and, uh, and and we we see him for the first time, and he's already spending time or dating Betty Brandt, so that adds more salt to Peter's wounds. Um, I want to point out some of the artwork in here, and let's mm-hmm. if go to the page where uh, Flash Gordon is being uh, Flash Gordon Flash when Flash Thompson yeah. is being helped up by the police officers. Page twenty two in this epic collection. It's page mm-hmm. eighteen in this story. And I want you to look at the backgrounds or the lack of backgrounds mm-hmm. rather. There are yeah. no there's no backgrounds yeah. here. And try and look at the the page visually as a whole and in your mind remove all of the speech bubbles and look how much mm-hmm. space Ditko leaves for words at the tops mm-hmm. of these pages. Like it's pretty yeah. much all of the action is contained in the bottom two thirds, and the top third is is left completely blank for Stan mm-hmm. to add his dialogue. Uh, this I want to point out this page in particular because when we get by the time we get to this epic collection, the way he l- lays out his pages and the where where he leaves his word balloons is completely different. So just keep that oh, yeah. in mind, and then I'll bring that back up again when we get to issue number twenty-eight. Mm, yeah, because we, we would be getting more into a kind of one third or even less of that, so there would be much less space available. Yeah, uh, for copy. Yeah. Issue um, 19, Spidey Strikes Back. That, that, that's the issue that I've called the, 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 the Spidey cartoon issue because there, there are many panels that uh, uh, this one and, uh, and, and the next one are, have a few panels that will, that, that will be uh, reused into the, the, the Spider-Man cartoon. I don't know if she notices that. Uh, oh yeah. For instance, the the, the cover, for instance, uh, reappears in the in, in the cartoon. Um, I think the most so, famous one on, on page forty, which is page yeah. thirteen in this issue, when he's swinging right for the screen, which is mimicked on the cover. Exactly. Yes. But yeah, that uh, panel is for sure in the in the theme song very prominently. Yeah. Um, so in this issue, Spider-Man is back. Um, and there's an alliance between the enforcers and Sandman. Uh, so the guys capture uh, the Human Torch, and uh, Spider-Man goes after uh, after them. Um, and obviously, we have a we have a major uh, series of of fights between superheroes and supervillains. Um, and um, obviously, at the end of the of the episode, Spider-Man saves the torch, and we we, we start to see appearing uh, some mysterious figures following Peter at the end of the issue, and we get into a more uh, a mature, dramatic uh, series of uh, of characters, and um, and even though it's pretty straightforward story, uh, I think the team up is a um, uh, with Torch and, uh, and Spidey always work. It always works because they get along very well. And, as, and even though they get along very well, there are always miscommunication issues yeah. between them. And we will see that in issue 22 as well because they always get in uh, each other's way or they blo- uh, Torch is blocking Spider-Man's webs or something like this. So they team up all the time or regularly, but not always very efficiently, I would say. I love it because we have to remember that they're both young teenager characters. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess Peter's about to graduate high school, so he's you know they're both probably around eighteen or so. But, uh, but still, they're inexperienced. They Ditko really plays up their youthfulness and their inexperience. 
uh, in in this in their team ups because they do get in each other's way. And I love it when they get tangled up in Spider Man's webbing. <laughs> it's mm. a great uh, great comedic and great character building moment for the two of them. And uh, that also is something that we see in the, the, the those first ten issues. We will see the torch appearing three or four times. I can't remember. And then would shift would be shifted out of the book completely. Um, so that's uh, that's one of the reasons I feel there's there's a shift in the well. It, it's written anyway, so it's in the credits. Uh, Ditko uh, spends more uh, is more involved, and I think that having the torch around is more of a standing thing. Yeah. Wanted to create this complete universe of, with his characters meeting and so on and so forth. While I think it was not uh, so much of Ditko's cup of tea to have uh, people like the torch around these uh, thugs and, uh, and mob stories. But it's also Ditko is really more of the the lone wolf type of character. Mm. Uh, he really likes creating heroes like he never works on team books. He likes creating heroes that are on their own. And so yeah. to put torch in there on a regular basis, teaming up and helping him out and stuff like that takes away from that sense of of, of aloneness that Ditko really likes to play with in his stories. Mm. I, I have a very soft spot for page three, so page 30 of this issue, well, 30 of the, of the collection. Jameson is about to give a lecture of how much of a coward Spider-Man is, <laughs> and there are uh, four panels there when suddenly his mood changes completely yep. uh, and he walks out. And, and I think that Ditko is doing fantastic uh, visual expressions. I mean, we are always talking about his, his sense of layout of the panels and the pages and the action scenes, and we get plenty of that in that issue, but also is very, very good at facial expressions. It's great, and he's good at not showing the action as well. In that fourth panel, when Jameson is walking out of the building, and you don't see his face. You only see like the, his back end and his leg kind of mm, leaving mm, the room. Mm. But you can tell just based on the progression of the first three panels that his face is really, really angry in that one. Yeah. Uh, and mm. you don't have to see it to know it. So it, it's just it works so well. Yeah, it's a good sequence. And, and then he's outside and hitting the wall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on the next panel on the, on the following page. Yeah. Oh, one thing we forgot to mention in the previous issue is mm -hmm. that we got our first mention of Mrs. Watkins. Um, Aunt May is, says that Mrs. Watkins was uh, checking in on her. And that ends up in a very, I can't remember if it's this issue or the next issue. Uh, it, that name is changed to Watson, their, their neighbor, Mrs. Watson, who eventually mm -hmm. uh, we find out is Mary Jane's aunt. Okay, and we have also on the very last page... A mysterious shadowy figure mm. and we're supposed to be we're supposed to wonder who this is um and i i love that ditko and stan uh, maybe it's mostly ditko i'm not sure like they he they put these shadowy figures in here quite regularly and i think in the last issue we saw goblin being unmasked mm. uh, like he unmasks himself and then, but his his uh, face is in the shadow, and so I think we're supposed to assume from in these two panels that this is Goblin who uh, is talking to this guy that's following Peter around. Yeah, for me it was uh, even though I knew who it was, 
I, I also it really gives the the, the impression that it's uh, the Green Goblin yep. in, in its series, and and the colors give it away because totally. the, the it's obviously a bad guy who's mentioned in that because he's he's in uh, uh, green and purple, which are bad guys' colors. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Dicko never gets to reveal the Goblin himself. And so this could be his, like, who he plans the Goblin to be. And he's, like, laying out these clues here. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, we can go on uh, to the next issue here, number 20, The Coming of the Scorpion. So we get to find out. uh, Oh, first of all, in the splash page, I want you to note here that uh, right at the very bottom, illustrated by Steve Ditko, written by, in big red letters, Stan Lee. Mm. (laughs) Uh, but the the, yeah. the thing right before it says, many readers have asked why Stan's name is always first on the credits and so big heartedly agreed to put Stevie's name first. And so, but still it like knowing kind of just the, yeah. the relationship between the two, it, it just rubs me the wrong way to see him making yeah. fun of the situation like that. You know, uh, I, I was reading, uh, ju- just before I was reading a book that contains Stanley interview about his Spider-Man work. And um, I don't know if you've read this book. It's called Comic Creators on Spider-Man. It was done by Tom DeFalco. Uh, so he ran a long series of interviews of, uh, of writers and artists on, on Spidey. It's a great book. And DeFalco asked Stanley if he knew why Ditko had left the book. And, uh, uh, and he says, no, uh, he just quit and so on and so, and so forth. But I, I think that maybe like for Kirby, it was, you know, uh, a death of a thousand cuts. Yeah. You no, know, small things like, you know, having, having his name first, but in, in a smaller font than the, the writer's name and things like that could have gotten after, you know, a few years on, on Ditko's nerves. Definitely. I think so. Mm. Okay. So this issue here, J. Jonah Jameson pays big money. Uh, to turn Mac Gargan, who is the guy who's been following Peter around in the last issue, uh, to turn him into the scorpion. He find he finds this scientist who can uh, genetically combine the DNA of different animals together. So he says, oh, scorpion and human, that would make a good combination. <laughs> and so we find out that the mysterious shadowy figure in the last issue, at the very end of the last issue, was actually J. Jonah Jameson. Mm. And... I think, you know, there's there are theories out there that Ditko originally had planned that Jameson was the Green Goblin. And, you know, based mm. on something like this, entirely possible. Yeah, could have been. Could have been totally. I think that could have been cool in an alternate world to see Jameson. And, like, I think that there would maybe be some sort of a, like, a split personality issue going on because he's a completely different person when he's... Uh, goblin than when he's jonah james jameson and, and that that sort of thing was played with norman osborne as well actually so that maybe that's not as unusual but uh that, that could be fun fun to explore yeah and, and i think that uh for disco it could have been anyone uh because it makes no sense not to reveal the who the, the, the character is uh, if he's not someone that you already know. But I think that Ditko would have seen that as a possibility as well. Yeah. Uh, and that's what happened with the crime master later on. Right, exactly. Uh, okay, so this issue has... I, I really like the Scorpion's debut. I think this is an excellent yeah. debut of a, of a villain. Uh, he, especially because he, right away he gets his power and then he does his own thing. He totally is a completely bad guy. He doesn't care about his deal with Jonah. He just is like, oh, I have all this power. Now I'm out for myself. Um, 
And even though he's got kind of a goofy outfit and he is mm. way more menacing further on down the road with other creators, uh, he still is a very formidable force for um, a young, inexperienced Spider-Man at this point. And, and you see that uh, he becomes uh, totally in uh, this kind of crazy creature that we will see later on by page 15 of this issue, which yeah. is page 65. You know, those three top panels, uh, when you see that he's losing it completely. Yeah. And I love that panel. Th this page, page 15 in this issue, page 65 in the Epic Collection, those top three panels where it gets closer and closer, at, mm. where... where um, where the scorpion is, his mind is kind of snapping, but then you have the parallel panels right underneath it where Jonah is realizing exactly what has happened and what he's done. And they work yeah. so well together as a set of panels, one on top of the other, a parallel story. Mm. Really, really good storytelling. And um, I, I, it's something that would become a, a sort of classic plot, uh, you know, the villain being sponsored by Jameson. But I think that um, it works all the time because every time there's something like that, even though it would be twisted later on when we see the uh, Alistair Smythe uh, appearing, um, there, there's always a good reason for, for Jameson to to create a new villain or to participate to the, the creation of a villain. Yeah. So it's always it's always nice and it's always fun. In this issue, Ned leads leaves for where is he is he going to france i think no i think it's europe but uh, i'm I, not sure if it's france i think they stated it later i never on. saw him anyway um but anyway so he's gone and this is an interesting character because he is really just a plot device character mm. um who later on becomes a big deal but he is only used here to put strain in the whole Betty and Peter relationship. Yeah. And the fact that he's like he's he's gone now, he's not even in the book because he's now in Europe, but his presence uh, and just the fact that he exists is still a strife between Peter and Betty. Yeah, because it, it, it would be used very regularly with letters being left on Betty's desk yep. and, uh, and things like that. Uh, so he would be, be, be a recurring character, even though he's not actually in the book. Yep, exactly. And he, when he comes back, he's no longer blonde. Oh, really? Right. <laughs> he has a different hair color. It's maybe it's a European thing. <laughs> uh, and we get a nice pinup in this issue too—a pinup that has a yeah. split down the middle. So we have a, a Peter Parker and Spider-Man in the same panel there just a nice mm. ditko drawing right there yeah good addition also uh because i'm very much into that uh because that's what led me to to love uh, spider-man in the first place page 60 of the epic collection uh which is page 10 of the issue top panel on the right also from the the classic spider-man cartoon all right. Uh, so always nice to see that uh, those panels being reused and uh, and appearing appearing here for the first time. I, I think that uh, the, the the action is very good once again, and uh, and the dynamic of the action uh, taking place the last few pages. And it's always nice when the when the action takes place at the Daily Bugle, and that they have to fight in in such a confined environment. Uh, it's always uh, it's always a good uh, a good thing. Yeah, the, the action is always, these last few issues, especially with the Enforcers and, and mm. the Sandman fight, like Ditko does a very, very nice job of giving us a lot of action in like, you know, he divides his page up into nine panels and sometimes six panels. And it's just full, full of really great poses mm. and dynamic action. So 
yeah, this is a, no exception to that. Yeah, let's move on to issue 21, which is absolutely not my favorite issue <laughs> of the book. Honestly, I failed to see, I, I failed to see the interest of that issue uh, between, uh, which is a sort of team up with the torch again, involving the, the, the beetle and um, being a sort of drama story with Dory Evans, who was then the, the torch's girlfriend. And uh, so she's trying to make him jealous with Peter Parker and so well, there's a, I think that this issue is a mess. I, I felt like it was, uh, you know, like a, a, a strange tale story that didn't fit in strange terms. Spider-Man is, uh, is almost a side character in it. So I, I was really, really, really disappointed with that issue, really. Yeah, you make a good point. Um, it, it is very much a strange tales type of a story for sure. Uh, I found it odd that you know, they they play up the fact that Peter is, you know, he's he's a loner, he's an outsider, he's a nerd, he, you know, he's not a desirable person um, because of his, his brain, his intellect or whatever, he's not the sports star, but then he's always, like, he's attracting every girl that he comes across. <laughs> so, mm, yeah. like, it, it, I felt like the whole Dory-Peter situation also was quite forced, especially when he's yeah. already got... Liz and Betty, like that drama going on as well. It's like we don't need to introduce a third person, which they're going to do eventually anyway with Mary Jane, and it just uh, and Gwen Stacy. <laughs> it's just there's mm. so much. Um, the other thing I thought was funny was that the Beetle gets out of jail right, right at the very beginning here, and he yeah. says they had to give me back my Beetle equipment. There's no law against a man owning an armored costume. No, but like right. you know if. If you use that costume to commit crimes and hurt people, like if you used a gun to hurt someone and commit crimes, even if it's a registered mm. gun and you are the gun owner, do you think that the police are going to give you back that gun after you uh, have paid your sentence? I don't think so. Very unlikely. But I, I think that when the uh, few issues down the road, when the, the scorpion gets out of jail, there's, there's a line which is a bit like that as well. Um, so I don't know. Well, they needed a convenient uh, plot device to to have him get his costume back because they were obviously not thinking of the tinkerer making costumes uh, right. for everybody back yeah, then. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so the first thing he does is like, oh, now that I'm out of jail, I'm going to go back to exactly what I was doing before. The Beetle has never been a completely engaging villain either. He's got a silly looking costume and he's not that memorable. So that also helps not make this issue the best issue out of the book. Mm -hmm. I, I thought that the Beetle was much more interesting when he was in the Thunderbolts. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Than, than as himself. Yep. I do like the... Again, but the dynamics between Spider-Man and, and Torch, like we mm. mentioned, and that that's, that was a highlight in this issue is just seeing them being together here and just the misunderstanding and uh, and when they're they're all fighting inside Dory Evans' house, <laughs> it just kind of gets a little funny. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a very goofy issue, and it is. uh, it, it's it's strange because it comes after a more much more mature and dramatic issue with the with the scorpion. So you see that it's really those days when I think Stan Lee must have been still plotting or co-plotting the book 
yeah. and saying, okay, you, let's do something with the Beatles, uh, the Beatles <laughs> and, and, and the torch. So very much in the, in the way we would have done in, in Strange Tales. Yeah, I, I agree. Which it may is... not have been, and it may not have been Disco's cup of tea, but uh, there's some good action scenes though in, in, in that issue. Yep. And a very, and a totally awesome uh, pinup at the end. Yeah, that's, that's a nice one. Some nice lighting effects on there. Yeah. Mm. It gives a sense of texture to Spider-Man's costume rather than just being yeah, lines yeah. on it. And the shadow and the light at the same time appearing. It's a, it's a, it's really an awesome pinup. Yep. Okay, well, let's go on to issue number 22, presenting the clown and his masters of menace. In the splash page, I just want to make another little note of the credits here, written by Stan Lee, illustrated by Steve Ditko, lettered by mm. Artie Simic. They did this, and it says, we let Artie do this occasionally. It's cheaper than giving him a raise. Yeah. They did. He pl- pulls the same trick as as he did in that other issue, but doesn't, I feel like it's not as mean-spirited or, or make fun of Artie in the same way as it did with Ditko, mm. probably because he wasn't comparing himself, like Stanley wasn't comparing himself with Steve. It, it's just a, I don't know, it's just a different situation. Yeah, and also it's uh, it ties with the, the I think there there was always making fun of uh, uh, Stan was always making fun of the uh, of the creators on, on the book and very regularly with uh, with letterers. So I think yeah. that's I'm not surprised to see something like that, and it's all. I don't think at this time he was doing that with the letters. This was a pretty early case of this, of yeah. making fun of the letter. Yeah, but yeah. coming off of the the whole making fun of the credit on the on, with Steve Ditko in the previous issue, it just seems a little out of mm. place or like not, not appropriate. But <laughs> I don't know, putting my own bias in there maybe. Mm. Anyway, in this issue, we get a return of the circus of crime. These guys have fought Spidey in the past and they are back, except this time they've decided to give the ringmaster the boot. They're kicking him out of the group because he is obviously not a good leader. And they have decided to make Clown the leader, which, you know, out of all of these guys, I don't know that (coughs) Clown is the most... Actually, none of them are really good enough to be leaders because they're all just one-note characters. None of them, except for maybe Princess Python have had any sort mm. of character development or anything in the previous appearances. So it's like, yeah, pick one of them. It doesn't really matter. They're all kind of interchangeable. But the clown is creepy. And uh, as I'm sort of scared of clowns, so and I've never <laughs> seen it. So I've never read or seen it. So it's not tied to that. But I've always been scared of, cl- of clowns. And page uh, 97, which is page three, when you see that panel of the clown juggling with balls, yeah. it's creepy. <sighs> right. Works for me. <laughs> <laughs> Works for you to be a, the leader of the group. Um, mm. Yeah, for sure. And he seems to you know, have a plan at least. And um, he has a good idea of stealing the art from this art exhibit, uh, except for the mm. fact that just Jameson kind of gets in the way. It would have worked. And uh, and Spider Man decides to use the Ringmaster's hat to to hypnotize the Ringmaster himself. You think that the Ringmaster would have some sort of guard against being hypnotized yeah. by his own hat, but oh well. Um, there's this is another issue that I wasn't so keen on. It was just yeah, kind of a series of fights between the the people, and with no real sense of danger or urgency or anything really. The only drama is that Jameson is knocked unconscious and is in the hospital. 
So there's there's that. Yeah, there are plenty of things which for me don't work in that uh, in that issue. Um, the fact that Spider-Man cares so much about Jameson being knocked down right. didn't really work. He spends more time fighting a, a giant python than uh, fighting the, the the rest of the of the villains of the issue. He's not. Uh, he, he doesn't know how to fight against a lady while you could be using his web, for instance. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think it's it, it, it's a bit of a mess. Obviously, you get plenty of good action scenes, but uh, sometimes it's not enough. And I wonder if that is to do with Sten's scripting, because the dialogue about um, battling a woman. Uh, the the dialogue about being uh, so worried about Jameson like that could not have been in Ditko's original plan, but is what Stan decided to write over top of the artwork. Yeah, because you, you could see, uh, and um, it's funny that you mentioned that because I feel that later on we will see that the art and the writing contradict. They sometimes they don't fit together. Yeah, and uh, you could easily imagine that Princess Python is trying to seduce Spider-Man. Totally. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, page 110, 111, it looks a lot more like she's trying to seduce him than she's playing with him and saying, well, you can you can punch, punch a woman or something like that. So that's the, the that's one of the moments when, for me, uh, the, the, the writing and the art are contradictory. Yep, I agree. I, I, and also what is uh, not so satisfying with this issue is that at the end, it's not even Spider-Man who arrests the the bad guys. It's the police, right? Yeah. He didn't do it. He doesn't actually does anything to 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 stop those guys. Yeah, it's kind of a, a lame ending. Yeah, the whole yeah. issue is just kind of underwhelming. So it's too bad. There's mm. two in a row with that volume. I think that whenever you get two or three great issues, the issue after that gets it to uh, is always a bit less satisfying. Yeah. So you you can be on top of the time, so it makes sense. But it's two rather dull issues in a row. But that does take us into um, a good issue, I think, the Return of the yeah. Green Goblin here in issue number twenty-three, called the Goblin and the Gangsters. This is when we get into something more uh, of a uh, getting back into this uh, mob uh, aspect of the of the book, uh, with the Green Goblin being back and uh, trying to take over uh, a, mo- a mobster business. Uh, so he, he's trying to take over someone's uh, business. Uh, so he has this plot to to have some of the guys arrested, but he succeeds too well, and everybody gets. Uh, the, the whole gang gets uh, arrested, and then we get obviously into the the, the classic the, the, something which becomes a classic of fight between the Green Goblin and uh, and Spider Man, and uh, also Spidey fighting a, a bunch of mobsters with some very cool, cool scenes. There is some very goofy stuff uh, along this uh, more mob aspect. The fact that uh, uh, Peter has washed his costume and the costume is wet, so he, he can't wear it. So he has to spend a, a few pages without his costume and not being able to change into Spider-Man, although he wishes he could uh, in page six. So that's a, that, that's a funny, funny, goofy aspect uh, along something which is not funny and goofy. Yeah, and, and it's actually a very big plot point. It, it's it's played up for last oh, yeah. kind of here, but it's something that's going to 
color the next several issues, mm. uh, which is quite interesting to see that it's just kind of used as a little, a little funny gag here that he just can't be Spider Man. Yeah, but and it's played all the time in a different way, which right. is which is funny uh, and, and and well put because it's not the same plot all over again. We'll get to that, but I think that's uh, that's one of the funniest aspects of the of the issue. Um, I also like the fact that uh, Frederick Foswell is back. Yes. Uh, in this issue, I love this character, and he will be played for a, quite a long time. I mean, he's, he's there until the issues sixty-five or seventy, or maybe a bit later. So he's he's there for for a long run being this former crime guy who uh, went to jail, comes back, works for Jamison. But he would be this kind of in-between character. You don't know what his goal, if he wants to get back being a villain, if he wants to be this blood in this blood situation. It's a very interesting and different character, I think. And it's great that he's back. It's one of the things I really like about this issue. Also, the fact that for once, Peter is not wearing his traditional blue suit with this horrible yellow, uh, <laughs> yellow yeah. jumper. Yeah. And one last good thing about this issue is that it's the first appearance of Norman Osborn. Even though he's not mentioned, and you just see him. So there's quite a lot of great thing in that, uh, in that issue. I like the bringing back uh, Foswell as well, because... It adds more mystery to the whole Green Goblin story because last time we saw mm. him, he was actually the big man. He was uh, in in the crime thing himself. Mm. So, is it really out of place that he could possibly be the Green Goblin? No. And so, Dicko brings him into the story to yeah. add another layer to that. So, it's like, is is Jameson the Green Goblin? It could be. Or is Foswell mm. the Green Goblin? Yeah, that could be possible as well. Like, we really have no clue. I like how he just he keeps bringing in people to further complicate that possible story. I think that uh, one of the... He's playing that part very well. You know, not revealing who the Green Goblin is. Yeah. Uh, and putting all the, planting all those seeds and all those clues along the way is, uh, is really interesting. One of the things I'm really fond of in this issue is page 130 and uh, 31 and, uh, and 32, the, the, the fight against the Green Goblin. The layout is incredible once again. Yeah. The pacing is very good as well. And uh, even though the, the, the ending is more of a, you know, it's a kind of classic thing, you know, Spidey running out of food uh, is a sort of classic thing when you don't know how to end your story or you don't want him to catch the bad guy. Because it's obvious now that the Green Goblin is not the bad guy that you're going to catch at the end of the story. Right. And he's always going to run away. You need a plot device to, to allow that. But the layout of those three pages is uh, is fantastic. And I also like that the Green Goblin, while his, his goal was to have, uh, what is his name, Lucky Lobo, taken mm. out but then the entire gang gets arrested as well it's like what yeah. this was just a big waste of time <laughs> yeah yeah he, he over succeeds over succeeds yeah that, that, yeah there's there's so many good things i mean page 12 when the spidey is fighting those those bad guys and suddenly he webs a door just to call aunt may because in the issue before he was told off 
because he arrived too late right. and he didn't want Antme. So now he's in the middle of the fight and he's calling his arms. Uh, you know, it's just three panels, which would make no sense in any comic book, but in Spider-Man, it works. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's it's a good balance between to, to show off his home life and uh, and what's going on in the action. And and also, uh, I, I just realized in page one, uh, 134 and 45, is how much copy Stanley can write uh, yeah, in so two much. pages. <laughs> so much to read. I mean. But this is still because Ditko is leaving him the top third of the yeah. of each panel. Is, is completely blank. So I don't know if mm. Lee feels like he needs to fill up that space or what, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of dialogue. And there's also a final great pinup, page 136. I think it works very well as well. Yeah, and it has all of the villains that, he, that he's come mm. up ac- across. I think they're in, oh no, they're not in order of appearance, but um, mm. yeah, that's pretty much everybody yeah. that he's fought so far, including the burglar. And you see that uh, at the top of the, uh, you can see Stan Lee oh, yeah. uh, writing and Steve Ditko drawing. Totally. That's great. Mm. Okay, moving on to issue number 24, Spider-Man Goes Mad. I like this cover with uh, some just a hints of what's going on. Oh, yeah. Uh, the the upside down room and there's also a little clue to the uh, the big reveal on the cover as well in mm. the, the box it says a startling mystery tale in the mighty Marvel tradition. Uh, okay, so this issue here, Spider-Man overhears a conversation uh, between J. Jonah Jameson and a psychologist saying that you know Spider-Man with all of his his powers or whatever it's going to affect his mind. He could go mad. He's going to have a severe breakdown. And so Peter starts to wonder if that's actually going to happen to him. And I think he kind of does it to himself with the help of uh, some illusions. He thinks he's going crazy. This was a good issue. I really liked this one. I love one. this issue. Yep. I love this issue. Even though I thought that the 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 big reveal at the end was completely obvious, perhaps people at the time wouldn't have thought that because Mysterio has only appeared like maybe two times before. Reprints yeah. aren't something easily uh, obtainable at this point. So it, it could be a, a surprise. And the ending is goofy also. The reason why Spider-Man gets out of the situation is goofy also because it's... Uh, Thanks to, to Flash Thompson and uh, Jonah Jameson right. entering the room and showing the, the, the plot device. So it's not Spider-Man solving the problem himself. So it's goofy in the first place, but the rest, I love it. I mean, I'm a sucker for crazy houses. Yeah. You know, this kind of visual displays. I love this old, you know, the, the, the TV show, the, the Avengers uh, with Emma Peel episode called The House That Jack Built, which is a crazy house. Uh, there is another Avenger episode called The Joker, also with a crazy house like this. I love the Arlen Ellison Daredevil story uh, drawn by uh, Mazzucchelli just before Born Again. I don't know if you've read this issue. No, I haven't read it's that. Also a, it's also a crazy house house issue, you know, with traps and stuff like that. Right. Uh, and I love those, those stories. Uh, I find them terrifying and uh, they totally work for me. And I read that story when I was really a young kid because uh, the, I remember precisely when I, when I read that. And uh, well, it's one of my favorite story of the of the book. Really. Wow! Yeah, it's great. And what I love about it is that it offers something different because Spidey mm. has to kind of battle himself in a lot of this. Yeah, and yeah. It, it explores just kind of more of 
his inner dialogue, what he's thinking, what he's feeling about himself, what he's feeling about his powers, and has to come to grips with all of that. Um, plus just the great big reveal and the, all of the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. I felt like there are so many different subplots with Foswell, with Flash, with Betty, with Jameson, and they're all they're all introduced uh, at the beginning of the issue, and then it all mm. ties up so nicely, even though it's a comedic ending at the end, it ties it mm. all up really, really well. Uh, it's just a fantastic one-shot story, really good. Yeah, and it shows that you can uh, put many, many things in, in 22 pages yeah. and, uh, and make, the, make them work very well. And each mini-plot, like the net leads being in Europe, it's moving on. We see that the, the, the fact that Flash is following uh, Peter is something which it happens in this issue, but it will come back later on and in the very next one, for instance. So it shows that it's not just mini stories or stories taking place one after another. There's, there is a clearer sense of continuity, in my opinion, at that point. Also, I think that that's the moment when Ditko is really taking over. Uh -huh. Even though it's not mentioned that he's plotting the story, I think that this kind of psychological aspect, I think it may have started the issue before, but I, I think that the, Ditko's involvement may start here. But that's just my assumption. Okay. Yeah, that would make sense. I've, I feel like this is the type of story that uh, Dicko would really like to play with, for sure. Yeah, I'm not into the kind of... I know that he, he was into uh, into this uh, author about uh, human behavior and things like that, so I don't really know anything about it. But I feel that it would fit with uh, the type of uh, Ditko stories, but I may be wrong. No, I think you're right. Yeah, I think it does fit, for sure. The one panel I didn't like here was the huge exposition panel on page 156, which is page 19 in this issue here, where, where Mysterio is kind of saying everything that he did over the last little while. Oh, yeah. It's like, ah, he, mm. they could have summed that up in, in fewer words, didn't have to go into so much detail. Yeah, and, and it says that he's been following Peter around uh, for a long time with robot cats and bats spying on him and mm. using those to project and i was tempted to go back into yeah, previous issues to see if <laughs> we could see any of those in the in the panels or the background but i didn't do that <laughs> yeah that's the kind of geeky stuff you can be tempted to do yes <laughs> yeah. so issue 25 captured by j jonah jameson which could appear as a, a sort of mimicking aspect to the to the Scorpion story with uh, this now uh, trope, Spider-Man trope of uh, J. Jonah Jameson uh, trying to create a creature or working with someone to in order to try and capture Spider-Man. Although it's played and it's laid out completely differently. So this there is this scientist called Smite who pretends to have created to this robot that can actually capture uh, Spider-Man. And uh, Jameson doesn't believe him and thinks he's a crazy guy. And, and it's actually Peter who um, says, no, no, go on and try it. It's going to work because he's, he, he thinks that uh, Jameson will make a fool of himself. But it turns out that the robot is actually working yep. uh, and very close to, to capturing Spider-Man. And uh, it will need uh, some very clever way to, to Peter to, to find the solution uh, and get rid of the, of the robot's menace. 
I love the fact in this issue that at one point the robot is following Spider-Man and the gang of the high school is following uh, are following Peter. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this kind of crazy chase in page nine, it's completely goofy. And also it's, uh, it's very fun to see that Peter is being chased by his colleague from high school and the robot is following Spider-Man and beknownst that Peter is Spider-Man. So it's very goofy, works very well. Uh, and uh, I really like the Spider-Slayers. So uh, there are plenty of comedy elements in those stories. Uh, because they they would be played and would come back until well uh, a lot of time in the future, uh, um, but they always work well. I think really like them. Yeah, me too. They don't actually call it a spider slayer in this issue. No, um, but and no, it's this, just a robot. I love the design of this robot too. It's so kind of funny. You, you mentioned the goofiness, and this this issue feels like Spider Man, like the sense of humor that we have come to mm. know about Spider Man. Um, the robot's design is fairly goofy as well, but then when mm. he like climbs up the walls and his arms and legs kind of get bigger and all these tentacles come out and stuff, it's it it's it's kind of creepy and um and disarming, and I love it. I think it looks really great. It looks very 60s sci-fi, yeah. 50s sci-fi. Totally. It's very, very nice. Uh, in this issue also, Peter, uh, we, we ramp up the drama between him and Betty. And I feel like this mm. is coming to a head here uh, because uh, Betty witnesses Peter trying to convince Jonah to, to go after Spider-Man. And Spider-Man saved Betty's life back in the, mm. uh, like, what was it, issue 14 or 15. And so she's a big Spider-Man supporter. And can't believe that Peter would do this. And we're going to see her kind of turn her back on Peter. And then also Liz is going to turn her back on Peter in a little while for doing kind of the same thing as well. Um, or not doing the same thing, but just being mm. being a, a different person, like not being who he usually is. And yeah. so this is making room for a new character to come into play, whom we get a, a short glimpse of on page 15. Yeah hiding behind a mm. flower. <laughs> it's a yeah. very first appearance of Mary Jane Watson. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I remember that because, uh, you know, the way the, 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 the Spidey books were published in France, uh, we had reprints in an oversized format, like, you know, 80s graphic novel, uh, Marvel graphic novel kind of uh, visual uh, and size. Uh, and the Ditko issues were reprinted in that format in the mid-80s. Um, so it was really nice because we have oversized uh, pages to, to, to discover that. Uh, but obviously back then I knew who Mary Jane was because I had seen her many times right. and she was a regular character. She was yeah, at the same time in France, uh, she was engaged. You know, it was the, 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 when they were together and almost getting married uh, when she first turned, turned down uh, his proposal. And uh, so it, it felt completely silly for me just not to see her. <laughs> right. No, totally. and, and, and I was like, why aren't you showing who she is? I mean, what's the, what's the mystery that you want to create there? Um, I, and I think it was just for the, the sake of it. I think so. I mean, I don't know why there would be a mystery either. Why, why not seeing her face is such a big deal. Well, uh, I, I, I seem to recall that uh, um, uh, Ditko wanted to to play out like maybe she wasn't that beautiful and uh, and so on and so forth. 
but it's completely contradicted by the fact that uh, Betty says she looks like a screen star. Yeah, exactly. So obviously it's not that. So I don't know. It was, uh, and once again, page 15, great uh, facial expressions when uh, Liz and uh, and Betty comes to to May's house, and uh, when they, they they see MJ, it's really fun. I love the fact that Betty is showing a lot of character uh, in that issue when she's trying to unplug uh, the robot, uh, and also when she's coming over to to see May's to when she's coming over to May's house, and uh, yeah, she bumps into Liz. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I love the following page and the fact that uh, Flash Thompson is, uh, is 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 abandoned by everybody. He's just <laughs> left on his own, like happens yeah and that's actually the start of a little plot that's going to uh, a little character arc for flash that's going to play out in the next few issues mm. yeah um, on the splash page at the very beginning of this issue here it does say sturdy stevie ditko dreamed up the plot of this tantalizing yeah. tale so we get a, a definitive note here that steve is definitely playing more of an active role in the in in creating the adventures here and yes we suspect that it happened a few issues earlier and that's very possible and mm. he continues to do so um from now on from here on in oh yeah for sure yeah definitely. but yeah this is definitely where i think the stories this last issue and this issue where i think the stories take a completely different turn we lose a lot of the the stan lee-ish types of storytelling to go into more more mature more sophisticated themes mm. and we are still playing the the the, the costume game yes at the end of this, uh, this issue yeah he sews uh, himself a second so suit in this yeah, issue yeah which gets discovered at the end of the issue by may uh so so now he has no uh, costume has, he has no costume because the, the the other the other one he had was uh London as a plot device to to get rid of the robots yeah which doesn't make any sense at all no it doesn't it really doesn't like if he could get out of there why did he leave his costume behind why yeah. can't he just leave the robot yeah. unless the robot no because the robot was dismantled at that point it wasn't even going to follow him anymore oh yeah you're right you're right right but yet it feels like it's struggling and the, the, the costume is, you know, is, Peter is only using a couple of web strings to, to, to keep the, the costume all together. Yeah. It's, it's, it's goofy. Okay, well, let's all keep right. on going over to issue number 26. Yeah. The, the mystery of the man in the crime master's mask. This one is also painstakingly plotted by Steve yeah. Ditko, so he gets a plotting credit here too. I forgot about that. But I was a little confused here because the splash page says both the crime master and the Green Goblin know each other's I true identities, but what a, what strange secret is known only to Frederick Foswell? And I'm like, the crime master? Have we met this guy before? This splash page makes me think that he's mm. another recurring thing because he and Green Goblin have a have an existing agreement and they've been in cahoots and stuff, but I don't think like, this is the first time we're meeting him. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but yeah, so in this issue, the crime master goes after all of the crime bosses, not just one like the Green Goblin did in the previous issue, but he goes after all of them and targets all of them, saying that he's going to take over all of their rackets and uh, and and everybody's kind of getting afraid of him. And so he, by the end of this issue, actually rises to be the 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 boss of all of the bosses and, and he is in, in control of all organized crime in New York. Meanwhile, the Green Goblin happens to stumble upon Spider-Man knocking him out, which I thought was ridiculous. Why didn't Spider-Man's Spider-Sense warn him of that danger? Um, mm. But he gets yeah. knocked out and Green Goblin says, you know, 
Um, I have Spider-Man here, so I should be in charge of the mob. Uh, one of the things that happens on page 183 in this epic collection, page 4, and I'm sure Ditko did this on purpose, he, he specifically positioned a scene with Foswell directly after the scene with the crime mm. master blowing up cars or whatever uh, to throw us off the, the trail. It, this is supposed yeah. to make us think that he is the crime master. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that also is confusing if you're trying to think, well, isn't he supposed to be the Green Goblin? Uh, yeah. So, he, But then you also think, but no, Foswell is actually working with Jonah at the Bugle like very closely. And if Jonah's the Goblin and Foswell is the Crime Master, it could be that they're working together. Yeah, yeah. And it would make sense that they knew uh, each other's secret each identity. Yep. There. And that they're using their resources. Could have worked. It totally mm-hmm. could work. Yeah. You know, page eight, a final panel, we see that... Uh, Norman Osborn is back again. It, it may, it may be it's his third or fourth appearance then. Uh, and the next page, you see that the Green Goblin is, the, is there. And I was wondering if I was looking at those pages, wondering if there was a connection uh, between, uh, because I was trying to see if there were already some sort of glimpses of Norman being the Green Goblin, even though they couldn't be there. He's wearing a but, green uh, suit. Yeah, but uh, but no, there, there, there's no connection between the two scenes. Yeah. I was trying to see if there, maybe there, 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 there was one. Is he named yet? No, no, no. He's one of the, he's identified as a very famous person. Uh, by Peter, because he comes to the his second appearance is when a few issues before he comes to the to the bugle for some adver- advertising or or something like that, and Peter says, "Well, it must be it must be famous, uh, seeing how Jonah is uh, behaving around him." Right. Um, so obviously, he's part of this men's club, rich guys smoking cigars, uh, yeah. but he's not yet named uh, yet. I like on page 192 and 193, this which is page 13 and 14, where Peter's kind of falling off a roof here. Uh, just mm. the color scheme here. Ditko, yeah. or I guess I don't know who gets to dictate the colors, but and I know that I know that the color palette of this era is very limited, so we we do get a lot of kind of vibrant, bright colors and such. But this whole scene, because it's being because I think it's supposed to be at night is all these dark greens and sort of purples and blues to create um, the atmosphere, which I think is really good. And it makes Peter's costume stand out really nicely. And the layout is great as well. Oh, absolutely. But then you flip flip the page then, and then Mm. you get back to the bugle and everything's yellow again. They use yellow so much in this book. Mm, True. Um, There are some plenty of great things. Uh, I think it's one of the great issues. Uh, of the uh, of this collection, yeah, I love the fact that uh, uh, Peter breaks and starts fighting the uh, Flash and uh, and the other guys. Doesn't it comes a bit out of character, but uh, but I think it's interesting to see that he can cut loose at some at some point and uh, be a bit more aggressive and um, which doesn't really work with uh, with Liz at all. And page eight gives a bit of interesting development for Flash as well. Uh, when he comes to the Dean's office to say, well, uh, Peter is not totally to blame, even though he's supposed to be his arch enemy, he does something for him. It's interesting. Yeah, it's a great turning point for Flash's character. And like these two guys eventually become good friends. 
and this is kind of the beginning of uh, the breakdown between their animosity, which Peter doesn't know yet. Uh, mm. it, it's great when they uh, when they have that conversation in a few issues here. But yeah, this is also where, like you said, where Liz turns her back on Peter because Peter's acting out of character. He's not doing what he usually does because he's starting to fight and she just won't have it. She doesn't. She likes Peter because he is not Flash Thompson. Mm. So if it sounds a bit like him, so there's no point in liking him uh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, we didn't mention the, the, the costume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is kind of a famous scene, I think, because people love these issues with the Crime Master so much. Um, and part of it is because of the comedy of the fact that Peter has to buy this costume from a costume shop and it doesn't fit yeah. him properly. And this no. scene is is paid tribute to in uh, in uh, Into the Spider-Verse, the Miles Morales yeah. Spider-Man movie, mm. when Miles has to buy a Spider-Man costume from a store and it doesn't fit and you get that great Stan Lee moment. Um, mm. And, yeah. and that's paying tribute, I think, to this scene right here. I mean, page nine. <laughs> yeah. When, you know, when the, the panel on the left, you know, at the bottom of the page. Yeah. When the costume the is falling, falling away, down. Like, yeah. The shirt's yeah. riding and, up. And everything. I mean, <laughs> even, even the shot that, that that he's taking, I mean, focusing on Spidey's butt like that, it's completely <laughs> goofy and... Uh, uh, and, but also, what is what I like is that it will be convenient later on because he has to put some some, some webbing to to make it fit, and further down the road he has to put some some web some webbing on the mask. Right, and that's the reason why two pages before the uh, few pages before the end on the penultimate page, the, the the goblin is not able to remove his mask. So it's convenient also. It's very convenient, yeah. It's it's very, very good storytelling. It's like it adds a little bit of comedy, but it serves a greater purpose to the overall story. It's very nice. Mm. Uh, and then that last panel where where uh, the crime master is addressing all the mobs and Green Goblin's holding the lifeless Spider-Man body, it's just a great panel to leave on. What, a, what an awesome cliffhanger. And it doesn't even say to be continued. The corner says the end. It just says the end. Yeah. Imagine the, the, the book is ending now. <laughs> not like that's it. No issue. more Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Let's keep on going over to issue number 27. Yeah. So called Bring Back My Goblin to Me. So once again, uh, plot it and drawn by scowling Steve Ditko. Uh, <laughs> even, and then... Stanley is smiling and an artist make is swinging. So when I was talking about this, the thousand cuts, I mean, there you those go. kind of things. One. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, so it's the, 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 the continuation of the, of the, of that story. And there is this, it's more of a fight between the Green Goblin and the Crime Master than actually a fight Spider-Man versus the villains. Or, or, of course, that takes place as well. So, uh, so it's more the yeah the, the fight between those two villains than the fight between Spidey and the, and the rest. Then the Goblin escapes once again, and Spidey is following the Crime Master in the sewers with, with a great series of pages once again. And uh, towards the end, the end of the issue. The Green Goblin has escaped. The Crime Master gets killed by the police and uh, gets identified as being someone we've never heard of before. If yeah. I'm not confused. Some interesting things as well uh, towards the end of the issue is that uh, Peter decides to get his camera back as he has he had left the scene of the crime and he gets back to for uh, 
his camera and he falls into the water and we have this hilarious scene where his costume is shrinking again. Uh, it's shrinking because it's of poor quality. And then we get, this, uh, I love the fact that we get a series of endings in this issue. So we get the, 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 the Green Goblin uh, escaping. Then we get the Crime Master being, being killed. We get the reveal of, the, of what Foswell is doing. So he's not a crime, uh, crime boss or he's actually working with the, with the police. Then we have the funny story when uh, the, the costume is shrinking. Yep. <laughs> and then the, the, the other part when uh, uh, Peter is selling his, his pictures to the, to the globe. Uh, and so on and so forth. So you have a series of, uh, of endings. So half of the story is actually a series of endings. Uh, so we have limited amount of action at the beginning, but it works very well, I think. I think it does too. It's it, it's a great conclusion to the story. This was just a fun um, a fun couple of issues that that really ramped up uh, the the kind of storytelling that I think we're going to get from Spider Man from from now on. It's a little bit more mm. uh, thought out, laid out with uh, with different elements of different stories coming together to to tell a bigger picture rather than just the the Stan Lee I think early Stan Lee way of writing, which was the one on one and done tale that didn't really bleed into the uh, surrounding issues all that much. Mm. I think, St- I think Steve Ditko's art takes a little step up here. And if you yeah. want to, if you look at some of these poses that he does with like, uh, let me see if I can get some good examples on page 206 and, and 207 when yeah. uh, he, with, with the fights here, mm. Jack Kirby around this era is really good at these fights with one person taking on many, many people. Kirby did that a lot. Steve didn't Mm. do that all that much, but we can see that he is also very good at this. Uh, Puts a lot of thought into the composition and, uh, and showing the flow of the action. And then on page 207 with, uh, with like the police officers, um, coming after the, there's just so much to tell in that one panel with the police officers busting the the crime bosses and the webbing in behind. Um, he knows how to tell a lot of story in one panel, and then you continue on over to let's see here, uh, page two thirteen, which is page thirteen, just the 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 face of Foswell, which yeah. is front lit, uh, and then you turn to page a little further to page 216 and 217 and we have some close-ups of Peter's face and J. Jonah Jameson's face. I feel like we never got close-ups where he spent so much time on just the rendering of the of the faces as much as he's doing here. I think his style has changed a little bit over the course of these 10 issues that we've talked about because where they would have given Peter kind of just his more squinty eyes uh, we're actually getting, you know, definition in the the pupils and the irises in his eyeballs, mm. and like the the eyebrows aren't just lines; like you can see the the individual hairs and such. So he's drawing fingernails on the characters. Like there's more detail. He's coming. He's he's spending more time on these issues. Yeah, in page eighteen, uh, so two two hundred and eighteen, by the way. Right. The facial expressions once again. The panel with, with Jonah saying, I hope he's not quitting on me. Yeah. It shows a completely different composure than uh, the two panels before. I, I love the one where, uh, the, the final one at the page, when uh, Peter is trying to, uh, to sew a new costume. So very good, very good layout, very good uh, figures. And uh, yeah, definitely more, uh, more confident 
uh, artists working there. Yeah. And so take a look at these panels because I want, like I said at the beginning of this issue, I wanted to make a note of the way he's composing his panels in the later issues. Uh, he still, obviously, you have to leave room at the top of the panels to have speech bubbles. Like that's just a given. But he's not leaving as much room. Mm. Uh, the the space that he leaves isn't necessarily the same every time. So if you look on page two nineteen, Peter and mm. May are talking on the stairs. But Peter is much higher. So obviously, yes. you're not going to have the same amount of room to put your speech bubbles because Peter's taking up, like he's sticking his head into the top part of the panel there. And same with the panel where he's looking sad in the top right corner and the background is red. Mm. It takes His face takes up most of the, the panel there. You only yeah. have room for one... Three quarters of the, uh, of the panel. Yeah, so it's not leaving as much room, and and then on the in the bottom three panels where uh, Foswell is taking the mysterious package out of the, the his uh, yeah. out from under his desk, like that middle panel, there's barely any room for words there. Um, I mean, Stan still tries to put something in there, but Ditko isn't allowing the same sort of space as he did uh, ten issues earlier. He's now decided that uh, we're going to lay out the panel so that Stan can't put as much dialogue in as much as he did before. And you can see that very, very often the balloons are in the background, are behind the drawing. You yeah. can see that some of the some of the balloons, because there's not enough space. Because Stan uh, is still so trying to cram the words yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I feel that on page uh, 220, once again, the writing is in contradiction with the, with what is there, especially the two panels with the Green Goblin. Because I don't think that the, 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 what the, the, the Green Goblin is trying to say is, I'm going to lay low for a while. Right, his poses are so dynamic. It's like he should be saying, my final victory is at hand or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, obviously in the first panel of those two, where he's in the background shredding a newspaper, he's upset. Um, but the second panel he, doesn't show defeat. It shows a mm. new plan or moving forward. And is he shredding the bugle or the globe? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you play the, the, the Jamison uh, is the Green Goblin part, it could be a switch of, of personality, even though there's a different costume and, and the same color. Uh, and so on, but it could be Jamison shredding the the globe because of the Peter Parker's pictures right. and planning his next thing. <laughs> I like that. Let's go with that. Yeah, you, you can read a lot in it, in it if you want to play the to, to play it. I think. Totally. <laughs> okay, final issue number yeah. twenty eight. Just before we go on to the inside, I really want to talk about this cover because I I love just how. Ditko used the the negative space, how it's just yeah. a dark black panel. He's outlined the details of Spider-Man in red, but only the webbing part. Any outline mm. of his body is not there because it's pitched against the black of the background. And what I love the most is that Molten Man's foot goes behind, it's, it's behind Peter, yeah. and his toes poke out. That's the only indication that you get that the leg comes across uh, at that point there because the lines there's no other indication I just love it it's just such a great way to to show fighting in the dark which is something that happens in this issue and I think the, the, the covers get better and better along the way uh, you mentioned issue 24 and I think it's one of the uh, you know with the crazy Spider-Man goes crazy and yep. uh, and this one 
are some of the most interesting ones. Um, and once again, it's uh, it feels like the evolution of the of the artist because the, the, it's not just giving a sort of summary of the story. It's uh, something where he's using the space to to say something and to show his skills. So this one is called The Menace of the Molten Man, and Peter is on a quest to get his costume back. I can't believe that it's been like three or four issues now that he hasn't had his real costume. He's going yes. to get it back. He finds out that it is uh, with Smythe. Smythe has his costume, uh, mm. and so he goes to pay him a visit. There's a great scene where the robot captures him again, <laughs> but, yeah. but he's brought back up. He has a jar full of spiders to just to make sure that uh, if that does happen, that he's got some sort of excuse. Always get a jar of spiders whenever you, you go to, to a villain's lair. That's right. <laughs> Maybe handy. It's good advice. <laughs> so yeah. he does manage to get his costume back, but this guy comes by uh, with a jar of molten liquid, a special alloy, metal liquid metal alloy that is experimental um, that, that he's been working on with Smythe. And through a series of events, he gets covered in it and becomes the molten man. And Peter witnesses this whole thing because he happens to be there. Uh, I really feel like this whole scene where he turns into the Molten Man is something that Steve would have done in the 50s when he was doing kind of his mm. more human interest horror stories or science fiction yeah. stories as backup features for those early, you know, like Tales to Astonish or something. Yeah, very weird science. Yeah, I get that that vibe from from this not just in the way it's written, but also in the way that it's drawn. If you look at mm. page 226 and 227, when the Molten Man is is becoming the Molten Man, like there's so much emphasis on the, the dark and light, the shadows, uh, the lines that he puts yeah. on people's faces to show where the light source is coming from. Uh, it's very different than how Steve has been drawing Spider-Man uh, all of this time. But it's not different from how he would do some of those old um, horror stories or science fiction stories. Yeah, you get that from the from from the, the splash page as well. The inks and the shadows are completely different from the rest of the story. Right, I like it. I think it's a, just a nice. It, it gives a nice mm. weight to the images uh, and and conveys the context a little bit better than normal. Um, the one thing I wasn't so keen on is just the way that he draws the Molten Man. I found that mm. on page 232 and 233, there's just inconsistency in the the body, the way he draws the yeah. body. Like final panel on page 232, he's kind of lumpy and, and squat. And then on page 233, he looks more lean, especially in that top panel mm. on the right. It's not. It just doesn't seem consistent to me. No, oh, and on page 226, when we first see him, he's kind of a skinny guy. Yeah. And suddenly he becomes all this bulky character as well. So maybe it's the, maybe it's the alloy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the effect of that. It's liquid, so his body's uh, liquid now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I You could say that if you want a no prize, but I think that... Um, <laughs> I think it's just a little bit sloppy on Steve's part. I mean, he's a great artist, yes. but he is not consistent all the time. However, mm -hmm. his Spider-Man is consistent throughout this entire issue. Spider-Man looks great. So I don't know what it is about Molten Man. But yeah, we get the great scene in the dark as well, where just all of the back yeah. the panels, the backgrounds are just pitch black. He doesn't even pretend to try and draw a, a dark background. He just draws it pitch, which is really kind of cool. 
Yeah. Uh, and of course, this is also the issue where Peter graduates from high school. Uh, really, really nice scene at the end here where he kind of says goodbye to his old life of just being a, a kid. He gets a scholarship, yes. which means he can go to university for free, which is, I think, necessary because of all of their money troubles. Uh, we're finally yeah. getting to the point now, and of course, Steve will take this all the way, but we're getting to the point where Peter's life seems to be going into in an upward direction. Um, yes, he has to say goodbye to Liz, and he's still kind of in a weird place with Betty, but 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 life is looking up. You know, he his aunt is is not ill. He's got money coming in from the bugle. Jameson says he'll definitely pay for his photos. University is going to be free, or college will be free, and so things are going to go well. That that never lasts for Peter, but things are going to be okay for a little while here. It feels like. Uh, Ditko is trying to get rid of the of the old characters. Ah, that could uh, be because Liz is being fade out. Yeah, but he's going to leave. Uh, not spoiling what we'll, we'll be talking about next, but uh, but she will be leaving the book as well, and we will see uh, Harry Osborne and uh, and and Gwen Stacy appearing in a, in a right. couple of issues down the road. So it feels like he's shifting completely the the, the the character, and he's changed Flash Thompson. Yes, exactly. Uh, and I feel that somehow he's trying to isolate uh, Peter a lot more, and we will see that in the in the following issue. Uh, he gets even more isolated than he currently is in that issue, for instance. Right, which goes to like I made that point earlier in the episode that that Ditko does like to silo mm. his characters. That's why he, you know, we don't see the torch anymore again. But yeah, interesting point. Uh, it'll be interesting to to read these next ten issues. Uh, what we're going to do next week to see mm. how Ditko purposely changes up the cast like this, and how he introduces the university or college college life to Peter Parker. Um, so I know it, it's it, it was a retcon afterwards, but you know that Molten Man uh, was revealed to be uh, Lee's step uh, brother. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. So because uh, Lee's appears for the last time in issue thirty, you you won't see her again until issue one hundred and thirty-two. Oh, wow! Really? And then she only appears when the Molten Man appears. As, as a more central character. Right. And it would be revealed further, um, I would say, I think it's in issue 176 that they are stepbrothers and stepsisters. Okay. So now that you know that, and that you know that Mark, Mark Raxton is the, 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 the molten man, the, the guy you see at the beginning of the, of the issue, you may see that the, Lee's living maybe in a totally different light because, because just got of news. the molten man. Just, yeah, yeah, right. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had forgotten about their relationship. I did know that, but I I had completely forgotten about that. Obviously, it's a retcon, so it can't apply, really. But the fact that now that you know that, and you can read it in a completely different way. Yeah. Because there is no real explanation of why Liz is leaving, is dropping school. Right. And she doesn't want to pursue uh, university or go to the... Uh, you know, she just goes to work, but you don't know why. And wow. she leaves very quickly, you know, so it, it could totally work. And I think that's the reason why it was retconned in that way. Yep, that would work. That's a good retcon. I'll buy mm -hmm. it. Well, there we go. That's all of the, that's yeah. all of the content we're going to talk about today. 
In the next yeah. issue, we will start with Amazing Spider-Man Annual number two and then carry through all the way to Spider-Man issue number 30, 38 to finish up yeah. Steve Ditko's run. And we'll do that next week. Uh, but yeah, this was a, a fascinating look. I love to see the development of the character and also just of Ditko in general to see how he went from, you know, co-creator to kind of taking over the book here. It's it's very neat. Yeah, it's a great transition, I think. I, I didn't remember that the book was shifting so much when I first read this, this collection and reading it again, I really saw that there was this moment when the book shifts tone and uh, mm-hmm. and, and approach and, uh, and so on and so forth. So really, it's uh, those first 10 issues are a fantastic transition to something even greater than we will see next week. Oh yeah, we're going to see the pinnacle of Dicko's uh, of Dicko's Spider-Man in this these next few issues. So uh, I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to doing that, and we'll be back yeah. next week uh, to discuss that further. So thanks, Frank, for joining me on this. Uh, despite thanks our uh, our distance, you being all the way in Europe and me in uh, North America, it's still great that we can come together. Yeah and talk about comics like this. Yeah, it was great. Loved it. Yep. And so thank you, everybody, for joining us. Follow us on our social media accounts. You can join my Facebook group. Uh, just search for Epic Collections on Facebook. And uh, and you can also check out my new YouTube channel. But that's all we have for this week. Uh, thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye.